Welcome to the Women in Rome podcast episode. My name is Lily. Today we will be covering the lives of lower class women in ancient Rome. Let's start with origin, or the myth of the origin. In the early days of Rome, when the king was there, there were no women. The men had no companions, so Romulus decided if they had none, they should steal some. Romulus invited the nearby Sabines, a mix of everybody nearby, for a festival. The Roman men launched an attack to take the women as their wives, stealing them away from their husbands and companions. Romulus assures the women they will be treated well. Angry at the loss of their women, the Sabine people go to war with Rome. A great battle start, started in the Sabine city of Cures, led by their king Titus Titus. As the two sides fight, constantly losing men, the former Sabine women run, run into the streets to stop the fighting. No one would kill them. This, the two sides decide to merge into one great Rome, and that is how, well, possibly, women came to Rome. Like most emerging societies, social class takes suffer. Ultimately, some are pushed down and some come up. The lowest status a woman can be is a slave. Slaves have next to no rights and must obey their master at all costs. Much less is known about lower class women, but in the, but in the next few minutes we will learn more. At the start... At the start of the empire, one-third of Italy's population were slaves. Many were illiterate and not able to write for themselves. Some did write, but not write about themselves. Most of their information comes from inscription, comes from inscriptions, graffiti on buildings, and tomb epithas. Epithas often mention whether the woman was a slave, a freed woman, or a freeborn woman. The name, the name of her owner or former owner, her husband's name, the length of her marriage and age at the time of death, number of children occupation or work specialty, and sometimes information about her looks or character. The jobs of slaves were varied. Some worked on farms or in wealthy households. Slaves who worked in wealthy households had a much more comfortable life than those who worked on a farm. The, the slaves in the household could be treated with the same care and affection that the master would give their own children. They, there were many more hardships than positives as a household slave. She had no control over her own life. First and foremost, she had to obey her master, do whatever work was given to her without complaint, to come and go only as her master allowed, and to satisfy his every to satisfy his every action, no matter how degrading, demanding, or odd the request was. This power gave the master the right to control his slaves' entire life and punish them at his own will and discretion. In the eyes of the law, she was no different than a sheep or a horse or any animal exploited by their master. The master might flog or abuse the female slaves if she did not perform her duties to his liking. Spying the master with sex on demand was also something that the female slave was made to do. Female farm slaves suffered from the same sort of abuse in addition to other house in addition to other hardships. Their lives were generally harsher with relentless physical labor that made them age quicker and die younger. Spinning and weaving were among the main duties of lower class Roman women. They mainly used a spindle and a distaff to spin yarn to spin the yarn and weave the cloth. A female companion to a slave who managed a farm for the owner was a slightly better position to be in than a female slave. The manager was called a villicus, and the female was a villica. The estate owner described the villica's job as being as being expected to do weaving, spinning, and other traditional women's work, but also as a nurse in charge of a small on-site hospital. The reason why a villica must 
must be called a female companion rather than a wife is because the government did not, not recognize the union between two slaves. The masters usually allowed slaves to have an informal marital agreement called a contuberum. The union was not legally valid, and the children would still be considered illegitimate. The slaves involved took it very seriously and recognized each other as husband and wife. Life as a slave could be horrible, but they could earn many mission. There were a number of ways she could be freed. One of these ways was bearing the master's children. Once the slave had become a freed woman, her life did not change that much. No one really accepted them as equal. A freed woman had to show her master loyalty and social respect, first and foremost. As her, as her master's social dependent, she had to do favors for him from time to time. In some cases, he had the legal right to have her estate if she died. The jobs not often changed. Spending, weaving, midwifery, nurses, clothes makers, actresses, singers, dancers, fishmongers, vegetable sellers, letter carriers, and farm work were all jobs for lower class women. A few freed women held jobs such as landlady, money lender, or shopkeeper. Few women ventured into the men's professions, but some did have men's jobs. Doctors, writers, business owners, and painters. There are also cases of women gladiators. A gladiatress was seen as scandalous and dangerous. Female arena fighters were far less popular than their male counterparts. They did come in style once in a while, especially under Emperor Domitian. It was bad to be a gladiator from a lower-class woman's point of view, but from an upper-class lady, it was seen as obscene and insanely revolting. In the the 3rd century, the emperor's septium service decided to ban female combats in the arena. His point of view was that lower-class women had more opportunities to disgrace themselves in their jobs. The long-standing tradition of male gladiators should not be tarnished by women and professional killing was better left to the men than the women. This was another example of men constantly controlling the environment that women had to live and work in.